Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Joel Starner. Joel came to us because he went viral on our Medicine Peak Collective Instagram account with sharing his day in the life of doing awake craniotomies. So I was so excited uh, that we were able to get him to come on and talk a little bit more about this because it's such a unique job that he does with his unique skill set of being an SLP. Um, so Joel graduated from Ohio University in 2018 and graduated with his master's from the University of Toledo in 2021. And he is currently employed by a neurodiagnostic contract company doing awake craniotomies as an SLP. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. It was so fun to talk to him. He's such a cool, smart, brilliant guy. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good afternoon, Joel. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me. You are very welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? All that jazz. Sure. Um, so I am Joel Starner. Obviously, that's in the, that much is probably in the title. I graduated from Ohio University in 2018 with my bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders. Uh, from there, uh, I went to the University of Toledo. Um, I technically started 2018, had to restart uh, for some medical reasons. Um, so I graduated in 2021 with obviously my master's in speech language pathology. From there, I was sort of whisked into the world of neurodiagnostics, where basically, if uh, if it has to do if it has to do with your body's e- electrical systems, I can either measure it or uh, test it. <laughs> and um, I just earned my 
EEG technologist registration uh, or my REEGT. And as of like last week, I'm lecturer one at a local community college. Amazing. Yes, thank you. That is amazing. So so tell me, Joel, how did you go from speech language pathology to being whisked away into this neurodiagnostics area? Sure. I talked about this a little bit in the bio of the day in the life posts, but um, but I'm sure not sure not everybody has seen that. So uh, I'll cover it again here. Basically, for reasons I won't go into right this second, um, I had a very atypical grad school experience. My fall of my second year, I basically offered the chance to go uh, from the standard clinical track into a thesis-based like research route. And as somebody who has PhD plans already, I said, of course. Um, and so I did my thesis. However, that kind of left me like high and dry as far as a job prospect until the University of Toledo had a virtual job fair. Okay, so this, so this is a little bit out of order, but my very first day of grad school, my professor, uh, who was actually the department chair, was going on a little bit about all of the, basically just the huge variety of things that, are, uh, that a SLP degree lets you do. And one of them was actually being in the OR for awake craniotomies. And from there, I was like, I would love that job. I thought, I'm here for fluency. That was where I wanted to focus. But even back then, I was like, yes, I could do that and have no qualms about it, right? And so let's jump ahead now to March of, March of 2021. Again, the job fair. I sign up for a session with, with a neuromonitoring company. Um, and I go into the meeting. Uh, I'm the only one in the session. At the time, he was a hiring manager. He since stepped back to do uh, some more time in the OR, but he looks at my resume and he's like, I've been looking for somebody with your exact skill set. I was like, awesome. And so he kind of goes into uh, the job a bit. And um, I initially interviewed for like the actual surgical side and then COVID wreaked havoc on that program. So basically, I've had to come into the company clinically, but... I'm now sort of being cross-trained into the OR, like he said he would. And uh, the job is, like, I won't sit here and say say that I'm in the OR uh, every day because obviously awake crannies aren't a super common procedure, but, like, I've definitely been in some. They're trying to free me up for, what, next month? I was just in one last week, actually, and I'm loving it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that, Joel. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. I don't even, don't even know where to start. There's, I feel like I have so many, so many questions to ask you. I think, you know, I'll, I'll give people a little bit of a backstory of how you end up on the podcast. So yes, yes. gosh, dude, I, I can't remember how it happened, but somebody reached out to somebody through the MetaSLP Collective Instagram account. And we heard that you had done these awake craniotomies. And so um, Sarah, our social media manager had reached out to you and had you do one of these day in the life posts. You know, we just feature different SLPs and sort of what they're you know, what their day in the life as an SLP looks like, because there's so many different settings and populations we can work in. And for lack of a better term, your post went viral. So yeah. <laughs> I figured, oh yeah. my gosh, I would love to talk to him because I think this is something that when SLPs here, this is something that we can do. They think, oh my gosh, it's just such a small subset. You know, how cool would it be to get in there? I would never be able to do that. What does that actually look like? So I know there were so many questions and I'd love to sort of normalize these other 
not other positions, but really expand our reach. And there's so many other potential opportunities that, like you said, this this specific company was looking for your skill set. So we as SLPs have such a fantastic skill set that it's cool that we're able to use them in sort of these parallel fields. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd love if you could sort of walk us through a day in the life. You know, what does what what does your role really look like as an SLP working for a neurodiagnostics company? Sure. So. Uh, as I alluded to a minute ago, most days, at least for me right now, um, are not in the OR. I'm working on that. <laughs> it's a staffing issue, basically, but um, I'm digressing. But uh, I will talk about a case that I've actually had to review for something I'm doing tonight. Uh, the company has voluntold me to do a case review uh, for their journal club. So I've had to brush up on this case. Back second week of March... I was in a cranny for a woman. She was 66 or so with a glioblastoma right over her operculum. Yeah. So like right in that sort of broca's area, left frontal region, God. So left frontotemporal uh, glioblastoma. Back in August, she'd actually had her first resection. She was back again in March, which mind you, uh, a glioblastoma for somebody who's 66, has a one-year survival rate of like 39% or something. And so basically it's a terminal diagnosis. And a second resection basically doesn't happen. But um, I forget if they had found a way for insurance to cover it or if she was doing it or if she was doing it independently or what. But she was back for her second resection. Very unusual. And obviously pre-op, we go in and sort of get a baseline, not as thorough as an SLP would like. I'm working on that, but we sort of see what her speech sounds like when she's awake and lucid and all that. And she has a couple speech issues. I want to say one or two speech sound issues, I think with her S's and she might've had a little bit of like very mild, like anomia sometimes, but still otherwise very fluent, very, uh, very comprehensible. Um, she gets into the OR about 2.30. And uh, for this case, we monitored a scalp EEG and we located her her central sulcus via, it's called a median nerve evoked potential. So basically we stimulate uh, the middle of her right wrist. And then once we're through to the brain, we stick an, an electrode strip right on, uh, right where we think the, the central sulcus is because Visual identification of, of the central sulcus is not super reliable, but basically we send a sensory signal by zapping her wrist where the phase reversal shows up in the waveforms and that strip tells us exactly where, where her, her sensory strip is, by extension, her, uh, her central sulcus and all that. Um, so we do that, I think basically just to see how far we had as far as leeway and, um, Yes, Cal PG. Uh, past that, we didn't do a lot of monitoring with her. We, rather, the, the surgeon was obviously the one holding the actual st st stimulator, but we would have her talking and we would send a current to the stimulator at two milliamps. And then uh, the surgeon would, would touch a particular section of either brain or tumor, or whatever. And if she had a speech change, we knew like, okay, so, so we probably shouldn't take that out right and we did that for about three hours she uh the topic of choice 
for her was uh, Disney World. Oh. Uh, she'd gone once. She was looking forward to going again. Um, I think she talked about her son's wedding or something. I don't remember exactly. It's been, it's now basically September. So, um, but we just kept her talking basically. And with her, we actually were testing things associated with the arcuate fasciculus because her tumor had actually grown into the white fiber tracts. So going back to adult uh, language and cognition, lesions to the arcuate fasciculus are associated with conduction aphasia, basically issues with repeating phrases, especially longer ones at like a phoneme level. And so we just had her, we sort of have a list that we would cycle through and through and give her phrases to repeat. And just like before we would stimulate, have her repeat something. And if we noticed a change or an error, we would uh, not, we would purposefully not resect that section. So her section, I think was pretty quick. I think we're out of the OR. Uh, I think we're out by like 4.30. No, if we started at two, that can't be right. It was a pretty quick operation, I'm pretty sure. And then at the end, I mentioned this in the sort of the topics, I think that I filled out a while back before this. Um, but at the end, uh, that hospital was actually trialing a uh, new, I think it's a new radiation therapy called gamma tile. Basically, it's, this, it's a cellulose matrix embedded with some radioactive material. And basically, after after you take out the tumor, the surgeon places uh, these gamma tiles directly into the cavity where the, the tumor was. Uh, the idea being that like the very targeted radiation will kill any residual tumor cells. And so those get placed. She leaves the OR talking uh, fine. I don't, she didn't have any deficits in the OR. Post-op, now I don't know how long this was. Um, I just got an update on this case last week, actually. Post-op, she actually did lose her ability to speak, which is very unfortunate, of course. But with such an aggressive tumor, right where it was, like if it wasn't the radiation or the resection, the, the tumor was going to take it anyway, right? We did at least buy her some time to make it back to Disney World uh, which she did apparently, and as far as I'm aware, she's alive right as uh, right to the second. I don't have, of course, a super close tab on her, but yeah. So, yeah. How cool. I mean, not cool that the woman has a glioblastoma. Right, but right. How cool that you get to participate in these in in these. This is awesome. Yeah. So, Joel, tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously, you have an extensive neuro knowledge. Is this something? Did you study it a ton in grad school? Is this something that your company trained you? Up? I'm really curious as to how you got all this neuro knowledge. I alluded earlier that my grad school, the my grad school experience, was very atypical for uh, various reasons. But like, I didn't even get a uh, medical placement, right? Like, I just after I switched to the thesis track, spring semester. That's what I was doing. Was writing a thesis. And that's typically when my track would have, uh, I'll rephrase, uh, that's typically when my cohort would have done their medical placements. And so I didn't even get that, which uh, which certainly doesn't uh, help the imposter syndrome, right? So really, the neuro that I'm using for the job and that, that the job was looking for was all stuff from my adult language and cognition. The actual neurodiagnostic slash IOM parts 
I've learned from the ground up. Uh, the company has taught me everything from literally, I don't know what uh, what an electrode is to I'm now a registered tech, right? Yeah. So my first OR case, actually, I was sort of asking the other surgical techs, the two in particular that I'm with are kind of higher up on the surgical side. So I was trying to find like how I could be of use to these techs who, who have been doing this for a combined like 40 years or something. Right. And they were like, uh, they basically said like, you've, you just went to school for this. Whatever knowledge you have is probably more up to date, more like complete than, than whatever we learned as we were training. And so I just asked them rather, uh, asked them about various neurological speech, speech language issues. Um, and like, these techs know how to to do their job and do it very well. But basically I found that my training has really come in with like establishing baselines and the more standardized testing stuff. And as well as just, I had an entire course on aphasia, right? Like I know what lesions in various parts of the brain do. Not that we test for it, but like I know about stuff like right hemisphere syndrome that they have that they haven't even heard of. And so it really is that knowledge base of what happens to language in the brain when something goes wrong right cool i'll add that like when the individual said that like i've been looking for somebody with with your skill set i think as any healthily skeptic person would do i was kind of like okay but have you really but um i can say that not only was that actually the case uh, i can say say publicly that we are looking at hiring other uh SLPs for for a, a similar role, basically. So I was wanted. I'm uh, very much valued, and we're trying to expand that base. So awesome. yeah, I love this. This is great. So talk to me a little bit, Joel, about you know sort of what what do you see your future looking like? You said you had PhD aspirations. Like I'm really curious. You know, now that you have this sort of merger of. SLP neurodiagnostics. You have PhD aspirations. What? Where do you think your career goes from here? Hopefully up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I can only imagine that's the only place it's going to go. This, so, would be, yeah. uh, this would be a heck of a peak, but I'm not trying to stop here. <laughs> so basically, uh, we're tr- even in the company right now. Um, I'm trying to enjoy a couple years of not being poor, and uh, yeah. Um, every every graduate yes. of grad school's yeah, yeah. desire. Um, <laughs> we actually have a trainee right now who just graduated with her bachelor's in neuroscience. She's very into uh, research. She also basically wants to get a PhD eventually. So we're trying to get like a research department up and running in the company. Um, it's kind of a slow process because it's all like, okay, what do we do do about an IRB and a PI and all these various questions. So basically. I mentioned earlier that I'm now lecturer one at that college, and and when I say that, it's not just me like teaching the entire course. I'm I'm helping with like the very basic like labs or whatever, but still. Um, so I'm lecturing now. Um, we're trying to we're trying trying to get that research started. Just trying to build a resume for a couple of years and then get my PhD. Sort of. I'm torn on this because like. I got into the field for fluency and I still love fluency uh, as somebody who is fluency impaired, I guess. <laughs> but like this language mapping stuff is super cool. So I might make that my focus. If I could find a way to merge fluency and 
neurodiagnostics, that would be the best thing for me, I think. But like the study that I really want to do would never pass IRB for various reasons. So I very much love research. I love the thought of teaching. I'm just not sure where exactly I'm going to pinpoint things yet. Yeah. Cool. Well, best of luck to you. I can't, I'm, I'm excited to see how your, your future unfolds as, you know, cliche as that sounds, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. I guess anything else you want to share with the people about, you know, your experience, I guess, I just think it's really cool that you, I guess, for lack of a better term, stepped out of the box. You know, you you very could have easily just taken, you know, just a, a normal SLP job somewhere. And I, and I think it's really cool that you, you know, had the courage to use your skill set elsewhere and really, yeah, pursue something unique. I've gotten a lot of questions privately via DMs, basically, from current SLPs and grad students, basically. They usually have a litany of questions, actually, but a lot of them are basically like, could I be a regular SLP with air quotes and do this job? And I'm I always have to reply like I'm kind of a I'm kind of a neuromonitorist first and SLP second right now, uh, just because of how I've been trained in this company. Yeah. So like that's kind of a turnoff for some people. Understandably, most people who go to grad school for this want to actually like do therapy, right? I was the same way, but doing my actual job like full time. And doing whether it's private practice, you might be able to do some PRN work, I guess. But like my schedule is incredibly erratic. Again, I feel like sort of an imposter because I'm not an SLP first. I'm yeah. I happen to be an IOM tech uh, with an SLP grad degree, which is fine personally, but it's not the fit for everybody, right? Yeah. Th- thank you for being honest about that and clarifying. Yeah, I do know. You know, I do know a few people that are, you know, SLPs in hospitals that do, are involved in doing away craniotomies in their OR. So I know that is, you know, a, it, it is, could be part of our role, you know, depending in your facility, but thank you for illustrating that. Yeah, this is definitely a different path that you've taken. Um, I am trying to fix that issue. You've hopefully heard privately, but your social media team, or Sarah, because as far as I'm aware, it's one person show, was really doing some work for me about a month and a half ago. Basically, because of the huge response to my day in the life posts, I asked my bosses like, hey, SLPs are kind of already used to secondary training for stuff, uh, whether it's uh, Lee Silverman or uh, fees or the MBS IMP, whatever. So I told them like, we're already kind of used to paying for secondary training. I feel like the SLP skill set is of great use in the OR. I talk with them like, hey, I, I basically mentioned that like, we could start a course on how to get SLPs, basically take them from not in the OR to not fully my job, which is full on neurodiagnostics, but kind of teach them how to integrate with surgeons and the, their local um, IOM team, which I keep, which I realize now I keep using that acronym and I have explained that that stands for, for intraoperative neuromonitoring. When you get into this, I, I forget that not everybody's in this world, right? Yeah. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> so basically teach them how to integrate with their, with their local neuromonitoring teams, whether that's contract or in-house at the hospital so that we can get more SLPs uh, into the OR. And my bosses both loved it. Another area that 
addition to the uh, neurological training or the neural, the uh, neuroling, basically, there is a technique that's in the literature for IOM. It's not super common yet. Uh, we're trying to work on it more. But in addition to awake speech mapping, which is uh, what I described earlier, there's also a sleep speech mapping, which kind of works in reverse, right? So with awake mapping, we're sending currents to various parts of uh, the cortex and seeing basically if we notice any behavioral changes, uh, uh, speech sound issues or speech arrests, uh, whatever it might be, depending on where we're stimulating. And a sleep speech mapping, basically you stick electrodes um, in almost all, if not all of the muscles necessary for speech. So so all of the stuff in the stuff in the larynx, the tongue, the soft palate, the f- I think the facial muscles too. And then we stimulate the appropriate parts of the motor cortex. In theory, when we have stimulated parts of the brain responsible for a motor in one of those sites, that electrode w- w- will actually show a reading. It's an action potential, basically. And so doing this doesn't save language, but in theory does help preserve uh, motor speech in patients who, for whatever reason, can't tolerate the procedure awake. And when the surgical team was first looking at this, one of the techs who's trying to get it implemented came to me, uh, uh, showed me the paper and basically said, because of my degree, like, does this look like it would work? I was like, yeah, as far as I can tell. I was like, it doesn't cover the the uh, super hyoid stuff, but that's swallowing. And like, in theory, we, we could monitor everything, right? But we only have so many electrodes and all that. So I was like, yeah, this should work if it works how I think it does. She's been trying to get that started in ORs since. I don't know if she has yet. Um, I know she's tried a couple of times, but the surgeons aren't used to it yet. And they're like, what are we doing? And so she's like, forget it. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So like, that's another area where my degree has been very useful is because I had to make models like physical clay models of all of those muscles and stuff. So, yeah, that's so fun. You have such a fun job, Joel. I think there's probably so many people who just want to follow you around all the time. <laughs> yeah. just get in your brain and steal all your knowledge and see all the cool things you do. So, yeah, awesome. we have tentative plans. And this is a very soft announcement because I still have to make everything, but we're trying to get like that sort of training program up and running uh, sometime next year. I don't have dates. I don't have prices. I don't have any of that, but I'm very excited about it. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who would, who would love this sort of training. Yeah. So I don't know if we're allowed to make announcements like that. Sure. Yeah, sure. I I firmly believe in putting things out in the universe and then they, however they should happen. So yes. Basically my fear is like, Oh, he's coming on here to like hawk something or whatever. Like, no, but, um, um, (laughs) So yeah, sometime next year, hopefully, my company, which again, I'm not mentioning for purposes of like, I'm not trying to be a salesman, right? Yep, understandable. A lot of people don't, yes. Um, will hopefully have that course available and it'll be me me, and one other person teaching it and we'll just kind of like a rough curriculum. Again, very rough. I have not even started this document uh, yet because there's things in the pipeline that have to get done first but like we'll cover like how to be in the or um as far as like where to stand what to be careful of sort of uh the process from when the patient is wheeled in to when 
to win cortical stem stars, like all of that. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I'm, ex- yeah. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to create it and for it to be put out in the world and for SLPs to take it. So awesome. This has been just a lovely conversation, Joel. I've enjoyed this so much. Is there any, anything else you think we should share? I know you said you get bombarded in your DMs. I didn't know if there was anything else you could think of. I've enjoyed this so much. This has been so nice. Thank you. you. Yeah. Think, did we cover everything? Uh, that is everything now. Yes. I'm I, all right. I'm awesome. officially out of ideas. <laughs> okay. All right. Fantastic. I don't think I have any other questions. I think this is just really cool. And, and I thank you for coming on and, you know, yeah, I just, I, I love our field. Obviously it's the reason why I keep doing this podcast and I just love hearing people that are passionate about their work and, you know, other ways that we can use our skill set. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, you know, for doing that day in the life post, I think you can, you can say you've officially gone viral on social media now to add that claim to fame. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Joel. Thank you for having me on. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.